Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene, Economic Indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Actually, no Economic Indicators this morning. We do get the Fed Minutes this afternoon, 2 p.m. Wall Street time, and we will see if there are any hints within uh, you know, tell us anything about what's going on. We normally wouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. Chile. Chile. G- yeah, I don't, I'll let you pronounce it. GDP, 2%. What a joy that is after the gloom of Venezuela, the agony of Venezuela, and the outright gloom of Brazil and the tumult of Argentina. 2% GDP looks great for Chile. Uh, 2% would have been good for the Minnesota Twins last night. Uh, fall for a second game in a row. The Tigers uh, score seven in the seventh inning, beat Minnesota 7-2. Mm-hmm. to We uh, mention that because uh, joining us now is uh, our friend from Minneapolis, Jim Paulson from uh, Wells Capital. Tough summer so far. Uh, worst baseball team in the major leagues. Not good. Uh, not good. Uh, nice ballpark, though. Uh, <laughs> Interesting comment from Jim Vogel, who's the uh, fixed income strategist in FTN Financial, who says, you know, eh, why not start to price in a Fed move now? Because, as he puts it, nothing is going especially wrong at the moment. And I guess that's what passes for good news these days. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think the thing, Mike, that bugs me the most about the the Federal Reserve and the tightening, and whether they're going to or not, is every time historically when the Federal Reserve moves from accommodation to tightening for the first time in the recovery, uh, nearly every time the financial markets struggle around that change. A little before it, a little after it, they, they, they struggle. And this happened in 1984, it happened in 1994, it happened in 2004, every time when the Fed first started to tighten. What, what's happened here is the Fed has suspended the markets at the start yeah. here perpetually. It started in, in 2014 when they ended QE, and then they paused, and then they did again in December of last year when they raised rates, and then they paused. And so now we've had more than two years of suspended. Exactly, exactly. And the, yeah. and the market continues to struggle. It's like pulling off a Band-Aid a little bit at a time rather than ripping it off and just letting the markets adjust. Did your father do that? Did your father, like, put the little threader on your tooth and throw the brick out the window? Absolutely. Mine did that. Um, you know, I, I looked, Jim Paulson, at your two-year malaise, and I love it, and the 12, 12 months moving average of the Dow breaking just below the 24-month um, MA. Within that is the old uh, tribe, the, the, um, the, Carter, the Carter malaise. Is this the Yellen malaise? <laughs> it kind of is. And I almost think, Tom, that it that if the if the Fed would just get on a course and stay with it, 
whether they want to raise rates two times a year, three times a year. If they just stayed with it for a while, the market could move on, I think, and so would the economy. And so could uh, corporations and their capital spending plans and their hiring plans. I think the Fed's become too much of the story here. And when you be, you know, I used to have an, an old manager tell me when your manager's style starts to affect results, apply less of your management. And I kind of think that's what's happened here with the Fed. Um, personally, I think fundamentally, as as Mike suggested, uh, I think things look okay by and large. Um, I'm seeing uh, economic surprise indices rise around the globe. I mean, last night we had an outsized uh, surprise in J- Japan's GDP. We've gotten better data out of China. Eurozone data has been better. Um, I think we're continuing to do okay in the United States. I think it definitely uh, could handle just the slow, steady rise in monetary policy. And if we did that, I think the market would get off the Fed and start focusing on fundamentals again and be a better market. But what are the fundamentals at this point? Uh, We're certainly not seeing companies making a lot of money. No, earnings has been a very big concern. There's no doubt about that. Um, But I think a few things are going right. Uh, One of them is I think there's a sense that we're maybe past the worst earnings season uh, here this year at least, if not in the recovery. And earnings are going to get better for no other reason than the big culprit that dragged them down was a collapse in commodity prices, which is now reversing. Um, so you get a sense of better momentum as we move through the rest of this year in earnings. In addition, the deflationary abyss story is starting to fall apart with not only recovering commodity prices, but increases in core costs and wages as well. Um, I, as I said, I think economic surprise indices suggest some revitalization of momentum. And I think the biggest thing I like more than anything right now as an investor is just I, I just love the widespread pessimism. Uh, the climbing a wall of worry is back. Um, we're, we're within an eyelash of new all-time record highs here, and there's nobody, very few, touting that we're going to go to new highs or that it's a good time to be in stocks. I kind of think, I kind of think the surprise is going to be to the upside. That's my guess. Did you know, Michael McKee, there is a YouTube video on how to pull your child's teeth with a string? <laughs> we didn't it have that. Surprise me. We well, I got to believe, Tom, that more investors feel that way. <laughs> They're pulling this too slowly rather than just jerking it out. Exactly. Like That's what we got to do to move on. I love your idea right. of, a, Copy of, that. of a new wall of worry. Copy that uh, YouTube uh, link, Tom, and send it to Janet Yellen. Yeah, I will, or maybe to Bill Dudley. When does he speak, Mike? It's like in an hour? No, tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. excuse me, tomorrow. I'm sorry. We get uh, Dudley and, uh, and Fisher tomorrow. Yeah, well, very good. Uh, Jim Paulson uh, with us as well. We'll continue with Mr. Paulson. He's got to go look at the Minnesota Twins box score. Again, massive shout-out to the New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. Um, yes, they, two hours, two hours, 32 minutes was a game. That is bliss. That is a perfect game of baseball. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Still too close to call in Kentucky, but Hillary Clinton declared victory in the Democratic primary. Bernie Sanders won Oregon, but he still trails Clinton in the delegate count. Donald Trump has shifted his focus to foreign policy issues. Trump will meet today with former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Trump also says he's open to speaking with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. 
Vice President Joe Biden says the middle class is getting clobbered. The Obama administration is announcing changes to overtime rules for workers. It means workers making about $23,000 a year have to be paid overtime to a $47,500 cap. Biden says employers will have to make a choice. Either they pay their workers overtime, the overtime that they work, or they cap their salary workers below $47,500. They cap their work week at 40 hours. Either way, the worker wins. The new rule kicks in December 1st. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushko. Rob? Good morning, Mike and Tom. Noah Syndergaard painted a masterpiece at City Field. He tossed seven scoreless innings, struck out ten Nats, and route to a 2 nothing win in the series opener. Syndergaard needed a little run support. He got it early on. It's a huge, crucial game. Um, it's a great run out there, and Granderson hits a, a leadoff bomb. Uh, really takes a lot of pressure on myself, and then Conforto goes out there and hits another one. So uh, it's a little, really nice to be able to go out there and pitch with a lead. It was Granderson's seventh home run of the year. Tonight, Gio Gonzalez faces Bartolo Colon. Yankees drop a 5-3 decision at Arizona. Michael Pineda dipped to 1-5. Tonight, Shelby Miller hosts Nathan Uvalde. Alex Rodriguez, he has his return pushed back through the weekend. NBA Eastern Conference Finals, Game 1, Cleveland trounces the Raptors 115-84. The trio of LeBron, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love at 65. The Cavs are 9-0 and in the playoffs. Nothing new for LeBron. I don't think we have complacency in our, in our minds right now. We have a goal, and our goal is not nine wins. It's just not uh, its not my focus. I've won nine games in the postseason before, won 14 games in the postseason before. Game two is Thursday. The 76ers, owners of the league's worst record, won the NBA lottery on Tuesday. The draft is June 23rd at Barclays Center. No first-round pick this year for both the Knicks and the Nets. And NHL playoffs, San Jose evened up the Western Conference Finals at one with a 4 nothing win in St. Louis. Brent Burns had a pair of goals. And that is your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike and Tom? Uh, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate it. Ten-year yield, 1.78%. Two-year yield advances two days in a row. We've got some real elevation in the two-year, 0.85%. That's a big deal. Seriously, we've seen some real movement there. Curve flattening because of that rising two-year yield. Ten-year yield fairly static, and the two-year yield higher means a less of a difference in yield between the ten-year and the two-year yield. Brent crude, $49 exactly, made a real dash for 50, didn't get there this morning. 48.99 per barrel on Brent, West Texas, 48.20 euro-week dollar, uh, modestly stronger this morning. Michael McKee and Tom Keane, we need you to stay with us across this nation. Good morning. The Sports Report was brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. The spring sales event is happening now. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com. Land Rover, above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Carbonite. You never know when disaster will strike your business. From spilled coffee to malware attacks, protect your digital files with secure automatic cloud backup from Carbonite. Visit Carbonite.com today to get two free months with offer code BROADCAST. 
Target down almost 8% this morning after first quarter sales missed analyst estimates and the discount chain delivered a disappointing forecast, adding evidence that the biggest U.S. retailers are suffering from a slump. Lowe's posting first quarter profit that beat analyst projections and raised its forecast for the year. Its shares are up six-tenths percent. U.S. stock index futures are lower as investors await minutes from the latest Federal Reserve meeting. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures are now down seven points. Dow E-mini futures down 60. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 12. The DAX in Germany is down three-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down two-thirty seconds. The yield 1.78 percent. NYMEX crude oil down three-tenths percent or 15 cents to 48.16 a barrel. COMEX gold is down three-tenths percent or $3.70 to 12.73.40 an ounce. The euro and dollar 12.74, the yen 109.39. And U.S. independent grain trader the Andersons rejecting a hostile $1.04 billion takeover offer from HC2 Holdings. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thank you so much. Futures again deteriorate negative seven. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McCardle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. In Chicago this weekend, as security lines at the airport stretched for hours, dozens of people were stranded overnight. The problem is occurring all around the country. The TSA blames inadequate staffing, but the number of passengers isn't actually up at O'Hara that much. So I tend to believe their other explanation. They've slowed down screening after last summer's humiliating failure to detect almost any of the contraband in a security audit. All screening involves a trade-off between false positives and false negatives. You eliminate one by accepting more of the other. When the TSA decides to ensure they don't miss a single potential threat, they're going to end up flagging every person with an oddly shaped body or a badly packed bag, and the lines will grow. Rational cost-benefit analysis might well dictate that it's better to accept some higher risk of threat than to accept the lines. After all, no one blew up a plane last year, even with laxer screening, and the collective value of all those man hours spent waiting in 90-minute lines is quite high. But that's not how political and bureaucratic logic works. I'd bet that in the next six months, the TSA will be rewarded for longer lines by having its budget and headcount increased. If that doesn't fix the problem, I guess the TSA's next step will be to make it look as if it did by relaxing the screening standards to speed up the lines. The end result? A bigger, more expensive agency that still doesn't do much to keep us safe. As the nice lady said to me when I finally deplaned, Welcome to Washington. I'm Megan McArdle. For more View, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentary can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Out of the great state known as Iowa State, Jim Paulson is with us uh, with Wells Capital uh, Management. Jim, is there opportunity within our food malaise as a general statement I look at food stocks. I look at agriculture stocks. I look at caterpillar, deer. Let's say cat maybe is the global flat on its back moment. Is there an opportunity there? Yeah, I'm more inclined, Tom, right now towards the uh, more producer capital goods sort of side of the uh, economic equation as far as investments in the equity market and, and away a little bit from the consumer side. Uh, you know, consumer stocks have dominated the the performance under this bull market right. is it's, it's been dominated by disinflation. I think we're starting to see some rise in inflation happening, and that's going to benefit more of the producer side of the economy. Uh, so some of those names you mentioned certainly fit uh, fit that bill. Um, I think a big part of what fits is there's much more producer capital goods-based economies outside of the United States than there is within the United States. And so international investments, uh, I yeah. think, 
have have good appeal. That's an old radio trick, Jim Paulson. If I mention eight sectors, I can at least say I'll be right down the road. (laughs) (laughs) That's an investment advisor's trick, too, right? I was going to say you're scratching an old analyst here. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, when you you talk about being happy, you're climbing the wall of worry, we're close to a new high. Can we go much higher? Uh, At this point, do we need a consolidation again? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not saying that we're going to have, you know, 10 to 20 percent buy and hold returns in the rest of this bull market, Mike. But I just think right now we, we may well break to new highs, move up towards 2200, and then maybe struggle a little bit with rate increases and inflation and margin erosion. But right now I think we're moving higher. I like a couple things. I, I think that um, domestic demand to me, of all the things I look at, is the best thing that's happening is hours worked just soared to new high here in the latest month. They had stalled out earlier this year, and they, they now broke out to new highs. And if you look at the jolts numbers that are there, the unemployment claim numbers, uh, there's good reason to believe that hours worked are going to continue to climb. The domestic demand is going to stay firm. Now what we got in addition to that, which was what we haven't had, is we just had the real value of the broad U.S. dollar declined by 5 to 6%, which has reversed about one quarter of its 20% rise that occurred since 2014. That is a huge change, which rather than the rise in dollar reducing uh, international demand for U.S., we're now going to see tailwinds from the currency boosting international demands at the same time that domestic demands stay firm. I think that's a really good fundamental change and will likely surprise people maybe how fast earnings come back a little bit and uh, growth in the United States. Right now, the Atlanta Fed GDP now number is 2.5% for this quarter, and the PCE, the personal consumption number, is estimated at uh, 3.6% for the quarter we're in. If there's anything close to those numbers um, with a tailwind of dollar weakness, I think we'll feel a lot better about international companies in the U.S. in general. Okay. Yeah, this may be something of an embarrassing question to us and to others in a sense. Um, we, we like to interview CEOs, and uh, everybody makes a big deal out of it. But do you really, when you listen to CEOs, do you get much out of it? Do you listen to them? I, I was just thinking as you were speaking about Gary Stern, who used to be the president of the Minneapolis mm-hmm. Fed up yeah. in your area, did a very yeah. famous study where he found the last people to recognize when a business cycle and the markets were turning were CEOs, either because they were, you know, uh, not seeing the forest for, the, for their own company's trees or because there was no percentage in it for them because uh, as long as they are um, undercutting expect, you know, it, 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 expectations, un, uh, they uh, overperform and under, uh, uh, under forecast, uh, they're going to keep their jobs. <laughs> well, as I said, you're scratching an old analyst, and there's plenty of blame to go around. And in my 33 years, I've, I've had a checkered history, so I, uh, I live, as you say, if you live in a glass house, you don't throw stones. I, I don't see any particularly uh, CEOs being any worse than any of the rest of us at uh, sort of forecasting growth. Um, but what I do see right now when I go around the country is uh, a lot of fear, a lot of concern about the economy in general, about the global economy, about weakness. And I think it's a bit overdone, not only among CEOs, but among analysts and uh, economists. And that, to me, smells like an opportunity. I often look for where sentiment is and then try to judge whether that is overdone or underdone. And, and if it has to move, what does that mean for securities pricing? 
And right now, I think CEOs are going to find themselves not expanding enough and having to catch up as well as investors when we look over the balance of this year. Well, within that and within the wall of worry, is it almost a buy and hold strategy where you just ignore the news and climb on board? Well, uh, I think right now, as I say, Tom, I like to be uh, overweight equities right now, and, and uh, I think we, my best guess is we're going to have a decent little rally here to new highs. Over the balance of this recovery, however, I really think returns uh, on average on a buy and hold is maybe like 5% annualized returns with a 2% dividend or even 4%. You know, I don't think earnings can grow nearly as fast as they have going forward now simply because we, we've got a very mature profit cycle with very high margins. Mm-hmm. And so I think at best earnings grow at or less nominal GDP, which tells me 4 to 5%. Mm-hmm plus 2% dividend, that's your buy and hold return. But that doesn't mean that we could fly up to 2200 have a 10% rise, and then pull back again maybe later on. And I think a little timing at the margin right now in the market, which I've referred to from here as a bunny market that hops around a lot but doesn't go very far, right. um, I think makes some sense. So your core call, this is critical, your core call is the idea of the two-year range continuing. It is, but I think we're going to set a, a higher high, and people will become convinced that we're breaking out, the bull's resuming, right. buy and hold is back. That, at that point, you might find me getting more defensive again. Okay. It sounds like you're rooting for the twins. Jim Paulson, go away. Jim Paulson with Wells Capital uh, Management giving us perspective on, I guess, Mike, the definition of range, which is uh, a good way to flunk CFA level one, two, three, four. Uh, the bunny mark. So, the bunny mark. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, what's up, Doc? Well, there it is. Uh, futures are deteriorated. Mike and I have no reason. Yields don't move. I mean, the two-year yield is higher, 0.8513%. Dollar dynamics, Mike, are there, a little bit stronger dollar. Oil has not broken higher, lower, 49.06 on a Brent crude. But nevertheless, there's equities just uh, it's, uh, it's yeah. probably Fed-related to a certain extent. You know, yeah. people, bad news is good news or good news is bad news or whatever kind of feeling at this point. Well, there it is. We look at equities, so, bonds, currencies, commodities. We do that with economics. As Mike mentioned, tomorrow, Bill Dudley and Vice Chairman Fisher speaking as well. We'll give you perspective on that with many of our esteemed guests. Bonus round, another hour of Bloomberg Surveillance.